Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. Real Estate Coaching Radio is the nation's number one daily radio show for realtors who demand authentic, real-time coaching. Get ready for fluff-free, unfiltered, full-strength honesty about what's truly working to get you into action, helping others, and making money now in today's real estate market. Now to our hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. Welcome back. We have a really fun show for you guys today. We try to have every show be a fun show. Um, so I want to talk. We're going to talk, of course, about overpriced listings. It's something we started yesterday. But before um, I do, I want to share with you guys tales from the coaching front. Right. So I've had personally four coaching calls today, and I'm sure Julie's had at least four. Um, hold on, she is just there now. I'm going to unmute her. Hey, Julie. And so, um, what are the recurring themes, Julie? Can you hear me? Are you good? I think so. Can you hear me? Yep, you're good. Yeah. Okay, so good. one of the recurring themes, one of the recurring themes of the coaching calls that I've had today, and Julie, I don't know if this has been the case with you as well, is that people are um, even really people that have earned a million dollars, two million dollars, people that have earned, you know, maybe in their world they can live, you know, have a fantastic lifestyle with five hundred thousand or two hundred thousand or you know whatever it doesn't matter seventy five thousand. Okay. One of the things that always happens, and it happens just virtually with everybody this time of year, and the reason I'm telling you guys this is because I don't want you to feel like you're a freak. or Well, you might be a freak, let's be honest, but just for the sake of today's podcast, I don't want you to feel like you're, uh, you're the only freak out there with regards to feeling a little bit ap- – what's, what's the word? Aptoplectic? Is it, ap- did I say it right? Aptoplectic. Yeah, and so or melancholy, okay? So this time of year, it's normal for people to feel that way. Um, I talked about this on yesterday's show, the show you know before that, and and again I find on my coaching calls today I'm hearing this little bit of uh, you know a little bit of almost like I don't want to use a clinical term but a, like a little depressive undertone in a lot of people's voices. So I'm going to tell you, and these are coming from again these are coming, all of Julianne's personal clients are pretty much top producers. Now we have thousands and thousands of people in Premier Coaching that are all different phases of their real estate careers, so. This is just our our slice of it. Um, when Julie and I Julie and I feel that way this time of year, okay. And I'm going to share with you what I've shared with these uh, folks this morning on how Julie and I have gamed ourselves not to succumb to the um, natural order of things, which seems to be to have everyone kind of ratcheted back a couple of gears and be complacent, okay. So I know this doesn't apply to all of you, but it probably applies to so many of you that this is applicable information for the you know tens of thousands of you that are going to listen and are listening now. So if you're finding yourself with a little bit less wind in your sails, a little bit pep in your, less pep in your step this time of year, I want you to start out by knowing that in our opinions, it's normal, totally normal. You're not alone, and there seems to be – and again – we're not doctors, okay? But there seems to be an actual physiological change that happens that is brought on by um, a couple things, but really I think it's, it's brought on by the change of the seasons. It doesn't matter even if you're in Southern California. It goes from being really warm to not so warm. You know, the, the things change. There seems to be some sort of physiological effect of a change of seasons on people's moods. I, I just I've seen it. and It's been too consistent in all of my years that I, that it just seems like everyone essentially it's affecting everyone in differing ways. But what sometimes happens is that when you're 
essentially a business owner, an independent contractor, when you work for yourself, when you're alone a lot of the day, you know, doing your thing, or with a small group of people or working virtually, you don't know and you think that you have a problem when you don't. So what you have to know is that, number one, you're not alone. Number two, here's what we've always done to game this. By always, I don't mean always. I mean, Jules and I have been married for 27 years this year. This past September, we're working on 28 right now. And I can very clearly remember when we sold real estate in, in Ohio, it got pretty shitty weather-wise starting in about October. Um, and it didn't get nice sometimes, not until like April or May, early May. So we had long winters there, or at least weather where you didn't really want to be outside, where it's dark and cloudy. And I, I remember very clearly not having a lot of, you know, energy and enthusiasm and motivation feeling and gaining weight and, you know, all those types of things that happen this time of year. So what we figured out was that we acknowledged that starting in about, you know, it was probably about September or October is when Julie and I would start see, feeling the effects of this. Now, I know in the northern states you guys know about the effects of not having sunlight um, and the, the sunlight on your skin creates vitamin D. Vitamin D has been proven to have a, a positive effect on your mood and all those types of things. So like I said, I think personally this is all a physiological effect. And the lack of sunlight, if, you've been, if you're essentially exposed to sunlight a lot and then all of a sudden you're not exposed to sunlight hardly at all because you're not going outside and when you do it's cloudy, there's probably reasons to believe that the, the physiological effect of your body not producing sun, you know, vitamin D that you should, you should take a supplement. So that's one of the things that Julie and I started doing like 15 years ago. And we do take vitamin D supplements, especially during this time of year. So number two is what we always have done. And again, I say always. Remember, we just discovered this about halfway through our almost 30-year marriage is that we keep ourselves busy. That's the number one thing because if you don't have like a to-do list that has hard set done dates, then you're going to coast and you're going to be lazy. Nothing's going to get done, and you're just going to cruise into the following year without having accomplished anything, still without long list of stuff to do that you should have gotten done the previous year. So what Julie and I do is we create. That's what we do. We create. This time of year, um, when, there's, and when we sold real estate, we would get folks that would say, I'll list my house in the spring, all the things you guys are hearing, you know, uh, whatever. So we get so many listing contracts signed. So, for example, we would say, you know, by the end of the year, we're going to have either an X number of listing contracts signed, either post-dated, i.e. they're going to start in the spring of next year or early, you know, late winter of next year, or they're going to start immediately. But that was the number one thing we would do because that would keep us motivated and that would keep us focused on dollar productive activities. And we've talked before about why this is the best time of year to be going after business, even if the contracts have to be post-dated because your competitors aren't, because they're not uh, listening to us, and they're not trying to fight against this natural tendency to want to hibernate. So that's the second point: is make sure you have lots of hard dates. We've been, you know, grinding you guys about considering or joining your local whatever. You know, Orange Series worked for us. Doing it now, not waiting until January. Getting yourself in action and motion this time of year is the number one critical thing. Um, so those are really the three things you need to probably supplement. You need to keep yourself to firm dates and actually keep yourself like, these are the things I'm going to accomplish uh, for the rest of the year. Make sure you don't allow yourself to go down any rabbit holes of silliness. Like, you don't need a fancy website agents, okay? You don't need a fancy logo agents. You don't need to worry about fancy branding agents. 
Most of you are never going to have to worry about anything other than basically how to essentially price things aggressively and go out and take listings. If you just do that and work on your, for example, your, uh, your business plan, that would be something you want to have completed. Don't wait till January or February. Get it done now, like this month. Have your 2019 goals listed out. Use the treasure map, real estate treasure map, as your guideline for creating this. So those are that's just sort of that's those are some of the things that Julie and I have done to keep ourselves focused, so we don't um, you know get lulled into the natural, seemingly natural state of complacency that happens to everyone this time of year. Because again, guys, if you allow that to happen, then you're going to have to rebuild the momentum and put Humpty Dumpty back together again in the spring or in the late winter when it's going to be a thousand times harder. You, it is impossible just to go from a state of, oh, poor me, I'm just not feeling it, to boom, I'm ready to kick ass again. It won't happen that way. That's the reason you have to keep on doing the work consistently. And this is the other thing that's fascinating, and I see this happening, and I heard it on a couple of my coaching calls today. You guys, because you think there's something wrong with you, because you maybe didn't – like I had a coaching call with someone just prior to this call where he he's had financially he's had a great year. He had a baby. Everything is going you know really well. His family's healthy. They went to Italy. They had this really nice year. But he's looking back and he's saying, I don't feel like I personally moved the needle enough this year in terms of increasing my net worth. And it's true. He didn't. But then he has to ask himself, why didn't he do that, despite earning hundreds of thousands of dollars per year, despite, you know, despite being the you know, number one agent in his market, the number one – just all kinds of different really th things he's doing at the highest level. He needs to go back – and this is a, you know, I've had this conversation with him dozens of times, I promise you, listeners. He needs to go back and have a conversation with his family, and they need to think about what it is and how they can – you know, there's two ways you can basically create extra money to basically reinvest so that you can have, um, you know, increase your net worth. It's increasing your income, which he's very good at, and decreasing your overhead, which he's not good at. So those those are the two things that are in conflict that's standing in his way. And then the basic financial plan that we've laid out in the real estate treasure map, which we laid out in our book, Harris Rules, which we've talked about excessively – you know, the different ways, the quickest way for you to build wealth is to start with being debt-free, including your house. And we've talked about this, guys. Just go back and listen to past podcasts. If you're in Premier Coaching, there's lots of information about, you know, your financial roadmap to being rich where your money works for you and you no longer work for your money. But if you're looking for, like, going just not meandering too far off, but if you're thinking about goals, since I mentioned that as being part of Real Estate Treasure Map, I would suggest all of you have your number one goal – and this is a thing that's in mind – this is really a, a little bit of a quiz for most of you, but the number one goal all of you should have is being debt-free. Because when you decide that you're going to be debt-free, what happens is you have to produce profit, right? In order to produce profit, that means you have to start looking at what you're spending your money on and how you're allocating your time like a business owner. Because if you're not worried about making profit, if you're just worried about doing units – which is what this industry rewards you for. How many houses did you, did you sell? I sold 482. Great. How much profit did you make? Bob, we don't talk about that. No, 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 no. That's a sin. We don't talk about that in the halls of real estate. We only brag about how many units we sold. How have you noticed the insanity of that, people? So if you start shifting your mindset towards, I'm going to pay my house off in the next, say, two to three years. I'm going to do, 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 do whatever your financial things are, to be debt-free. What that does is that does create actually your without going into the explanation of it, guys, when you have a say three thousand dollar a month house payment and you pay that house off, 
and, and let's say after the house is paid off, you have an $800 tax payment, and that's it. You're paying yourself $2,400 a month. Well, that's the cash flow with the money that you had going towards that mortgage payment. You now can invest that into other things and build wealth. But you have to start with being debt-free. That's the number one thing. So when you're thinking about your goals, keep it pure. Keep it clean. Keep it practical and tactical. Keep focused on what your true mission was and why you got into real estate. I assume that the reason you got into real estate or started your own business is to be rich, where your money works for you and you no longer work for your money. The mythical passive income, right? Well, it is a lie. There's no such thing as passive income. It just doesn't exist in any form. It doesn't. So stop thinking it does. But there are certainly forms of income that don't require hardly any work. That's true. And you can create that, but you have to create that through following a systematic you know, system like that. So if you find yourself feeling a little melancholy this time of year, think about the things I've said. And then think about what it is that you want to accomplish for next year. And in the state, here's what happens. So we're battling physiology, let's just assume. So in the midst of getting yourself into action and getting things done and seeing, your, seeing yourself complete things over the next 60 days that I just described for you, when you see yourself doing things physically like Orange Theory in the next 60 days, you are, you're in state. So you're, you're in a state of action. You're in a state of doing things. You're not sitting on your ass or in your head being introspective. You're actually doing things. And when you're doing things, you automatically start operating at a higher level. And then you start having your, the questions about why did I in, – in, in your mind, then you can start thinking about what your 2019 goals are. What so many of you do is you don't even do a business plan. You don't even have real goals. You don't even have a real business plan if you do it. You, don't, you basically just kind of you know, loaf into one year and loaf out the other. And you wonder, well, why am I not going, moving things ahead? You're looking for some magic, you know, oh, I am the guru you've been looking for. Or you're looking for some book to read. Oh, my gosh, there's this new book that solves all your problems. Or you're looking for, you're looking for the magic bullet, and you're, you never are going to find it. It's the, it comes down to the hard, unfortunate lesson of doing what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it at the highest level. So, look, guys, I just want you to know you're not alone if you feel a little off your game this time of year. Everyone does. Use the little prescription that we just passed along to you and see if it works for you because I already know it will. So put it into action, but this requires you doing something. That you have to stop you know, looking for silver bullets. You have to stop – you know, listening to a bunch of stuff and reading books and hoping somehow magically putting a bunch of smiley faces by a post on Instagram, you know, is going to get you into the end zone. Doesn't. It's a lie. Stop thinking it works. It doesn't. The reason you're not more successful isn't because you haven't mastered Facebook ads. I promise you. Right? So, Julie, any thoughts on that? I know you've been on calls, too. Yeah, well, I'm hearing it, too. And I'm feeling it. You know, what? what is it? Uh... Three days ago, we were teaching Zoe to swim in the pool when it was 90 degrees out. And for the past three days after that, the temperature dropped. I ca- I ca- it was like almost 50 degrees in one day. Our river flooded. We had to make sure the cows didn't float away. You know, it's cold. It's dreary. It's nasty outside. And having gone through, what, 120 days of sunshine, wall to wall, and then being blasted with that, I find myself having more caffeine. I think I tripled my vitamin D today. You know, you got to fight mm-hmm. the good fight against that, and it, that's just the weather part of it. That doesn't account for all of the other stuff, like hearing holiday objections that you guys go through. been drilling that on our premier coaching quite a bit. Um, but you made a good point, which is setting a specific goal of what you will absolutely get done. 
And yeah, in some cases it's going to be harder to get those listings signed. But the difference between you guys and everyone else is that the lazy agents who have thrown in the towel and are using the change of season, the fourth quarter, the holiday season as their excuse to not do anything, they're not even going on those appointments. You guys are the ones who are going to go on those appointments. And if that means that you have to post date it to start on January 3rd, go for it. That's better than not doing it at all. And it's not unusual. I always go back to you know being the only car in the, in the parking lot at your office. That's okay. That means you're doing what you're supposed to do. Maybe when you don't feel like doing it, maybe a little begrudgingly, maybe you've got to talk yourself into doing it at the highest level and dust off some scripts and make sure you're not just winging your way through it. You're actually not just showing up, but you're you know ready to rumble. It's tough, but you've got to fight that fight. Or if you're already fantastically wealthy and it doesn't matter, that's fine too. But I bet if you're listening to this podcast, you need to get into action. So speaking of which, <clears throat> I want to make this very practical and applicable. Yesterday we started talking about the listing evaluation. And so there are six things that create a saleable property. It's not just a hot market. It's not just the luck of low inventory. It's not just the fact that you do a video and a really killer home brochure. What is the nitty-gritty? How do you actually non-emotionally evaluate the saleability of a listing? You can do this when you take a listing. You can also do it if you're sitting on listings that haven't sold yet after a reasonable amount of time. Reasonable being at least average days on the market, you know, maybe a little bit faster. You can use it in both spots. So what are those six things? Your idea here is to rate these six things on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 meaning super fantastic, 1 meaning really horrible. So rate the condition. So we're going to go through the six, and then I'll give you some examples of how to use this tool. The condition of the property. Ten would be new construction on a really killer lot. There's nothing wrong with it. One would be we're calling the fire department to do a practice burn-down drill because it's worth more as land without the house on it. Location of the property. You guys mostly know about this. A ten would be a really great uh, community, location within your town, subdivision, something popular. You know, a ten. Location-wise, one would be, you know, it's got both a railroad and a freeway and planes landing in the backyard. Location is horrible. Number and frequency of showings is next. According to NAR, one to two showings per week is considered normal in a balanced market. Most of you haven't been in a balanced market for a real long time. So if you're only getting one to two showings per week, it feels slow as molasses. You've got to look at your, you know, average days on the market and what's happening with your subject property. But slow or no showings, you can't rate that as a 10. If you get shown every day, two or three times a day, that's a 10 showing-wise. Okay, next is number four, price versus competing homes. A 10 would be if you are priced in the lower 25% of all of your competing properties. Not just in that particular subdivision, but anything that competes with you, certainly the same school district or the same type of home. If you are the most expensive thing in your competition, I would argue that you are priced as maybe a 1 or 2. You're definitely not a 10. Then the next one is number 5, <clears throat> excuse me, is seller's level of cooperation. Okay, this means lots of different things. Apply it to each situation. The seller's level of cooperation could be making sure that they allow all showings. And we talk about this in Premier, some conversations to make sure they know the importance of that. Uh, but also that they're taking care of the property. They are turning on all the lights before showings. They're not overly complicating it with, you know, two alarm systems and some attack dogs you've got to live through in order to see the place. They're cooperating, okay? Um, 
seller's level of motivation, are they need to sell seller or I have to sell seller? A 10 is somebody who says, I should have sold this last month. My bad. I'll let you price it in such a way that you sell it by this weekend, ideally. What do I need to do? I'll do anything. Tell me how to stage it. A 1 on seller's level of motivation is, well, if we get our price, and their price is significantly over where it should be, you know, maybe we'd consider moving. You know, most of our grizzled veterans have had stuff that was priced maybe a little bit high. You lucked out when the market was hot and you got an offer, and the seller still rejected it. Like, who does that, right? So that would be a one on their apparent motivation to sell. Well, ideally, we're going to score 60, so 10 uh, on each one, but that's pretty unrealistic. So how do you use this? Well, let's say that you have a location problem. You can't change that. Let's say it's only a five on your location. And on top of that, the condition, well, you know, it's not terrible, but maybe it's just a six or a seven. Kitchen needs updated. You know, the deck needs replaced. The condition is not a 10 either. Well, that means there's more pressure on everything else to be a 10, particularly price, seller's level of cooperation. Okay, so how are you going to overcome that lower score? Everything else has got to be great. All right, let's say that you've got great condition, you've got great location, you used to have good showings, but they've dropped off. You thought you were priced well. You would, you would previously rate your prices maybe an 8 or a 9, but your showings have gone away, and the sellers are starting to be a little bit difficult. Well, if their number and frequency of showings is the only apparent problem, and you thought you were priced right, unless there's some other extenuating circumstance, like their cooperation, they've stopped allowing showings or something crazy, it's price, 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 or price. So using this evaluation tool, most roads leave back to price. But you can use the condition, maybe negative feedback. Get the seller to fix the feedback. Maybe Jimmy the price just a tiny bit. It's probably going to sell. So I'll tell you, Tim, I did this with the Kenmore team earlier today because, you know, they're doing 400 to 500 sales, you know, pretty consistently. They've got two listing partners, and there's a lot going on. You know, they carry about 20 listings all the time. So here's what they're going to do because they've seen a 20% slowdown month over month in the number of sales in their market. So maybe they're starting to have a little bit of a shift. My coaching to them was to be more careful pricing in the front end and to avoid price reductions. So we talked about this evaluation. And Lance said, here's what we're going to do on the team meeting. We're going to take the five or ten most recent listings that are pending and put them through this ringer. What was their condition, their location, their number of showings, their price, seller's level of cooperation, and their motivation. And he said, I'll bet you what we find out is that they score close to 40, maybe 50 points, and that's why they're pending. Then we're going to take the three or four, maybe five listings out of our roughly 20 in inventory that are sitting on the market longer than they should have, that are having some struggles, and we're going to do the evaluation with them, and we're going to see where they score. I bet it's going to be only 20 or 30 points because they've got maybe a location issue, maybe a condition problem, their showings are dropping off, maybe they're priced in the upper 25% instead of the lower 25%, and maybe on top of that the sellers are only allowing every two or three showings, and they've failed to put the dishes away in the dishwasher, and they've just kind of lost their will to be a team player. So I thought that was a great use of this. But really going into a fresh listing, you need to have these things in mind. If everything is right except it needs totally rehabbed, you cannot be pricing it as if it's already been rehabbed. Does this make sense, Tim? This is a kind of an analytical, totally. non-emotional approach to getting the pricing right. 
Back to you. I need to breathe. Julie? Sorry. Oh, you're having some coffee, weren't you? We caught you in coffee in coffee mode. Yes. My pricing rant has come to an end. Well, I mean, you, I'll tell you where my mind was going when you were talking about yeah. Lance, and it's it really important that they know to do a virtual daily CMA on their entire market, knowing that your market's down 20%. Now, look, that could just be and probably is mostly um, the season, the time of year. So Kenmore's probably don't need to be overly worried that their you know market is aggressively shifting. Others of you, you know, I had a conversation today with a client in um, Greenwich, Connecticut, and he's presenting an offer to a seller, and the seller paid $15 million for the house, and the strongest offer he's gotten on the house was $8 million, and the seller's probably going to take somewhere in the eights for it. You know, Lance's ouchie, average ouchie. sale price is probably in the twos or the threes. Yeah, ouchie, ouchie, right? So the reality yeah. of it is, guys, is that knowing your market and knowing what direction your market's going, so it's certain basic things when it comes to pricing, um, you know, you need to know what the absorption rate is in your marketplace. You need to know, for example, absorption rate is a simple mathematic formula where you figure out how long the average property, and you can break it down to price ranges too, which is smart, is taking to sell. Look to see the total number of houses for sale, let's say between 500 and 600,000 in your market. Look to see how many currently for sale. Look to see how many pended last month, and then divide the two numbers, and then I'll give you and, – and look, you know, obviously take into consideration the days in the market that those properties took to sell. And what you're going to find out is the – for example, if there's like 10 houses that sold between 500 and 600 last you know, month, let's say. Some could argue that you could run your absorption out, by, out to 90 days, which is probably good, but just for the sake of conversation, let's just say it's a 30-day study, and you know, you have – between 500 and 600, let's say there's – I'm making up numbers here, guys. There's 100 houses for sale in that price range. And let's say last month only uh, you know, 50 houses sold. So you could argue so, – and, and this is where the math kind of falls apart, but it does make a point to the seller. If no new homes came for sale, Mr. Seller, you, and we can assume, which you know, maybe it's a little bit of a lofty assumption, but let's assume that 50 houses sell this month, 50 in this price range sell the following, the following, the following. You can calculate that if – Again, if no new houses come for sale in this price range, and we currently have, let's say, 500 houses for sale in this price range, it's going to take about 10 months for all the inventory to sell. And again, I'll say this for the fourth time, Mr. Seller, that's assuming that no new listings are also, you know, no new competing listings come for sale, which is, you know, it's not even unlikely, it's impossible. So realistically, in this price range, when you look between five dollars and $600,000, Mr. Seller, with what is selling, what is actually selling, Based on no new houses coming for sale, it's going to take approximately um, 10 months to sell. So you wanted to price your house at 599. Well, you can see where if you price it at 599, it's going to take probably nine or 10 months to sell based on what's actually selling. Because in this five to six hundred thousand dollar price range, the houses that are moving are the ones that are about, on average, if you look at the CMA, Mr. Seller, are about 529. So if you're serious about getting the property sold, and, and you can look. So these guys here that are priced at 529, they took two months to sell. The house is priced at 519, they took 30 days to sell, and the house is priced in the upper 500s, they basically took almost all 10 months to sell. So the question I have for you is based on what your time frame is and your expectations for you know how much hassle you're willing to put into getting it for so, getting the house sold. How long do you want to have the house for sale? Do you want to have it for sale for 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, or 10 months? What would you prefer? I mean, guys, that's basically the power of knowing the market. 
and being able to explain the statistics and being but you able said, to you're explain also how not they're cramming that down. You're not cramming the price down their throat. You're saying, here are mm -hmm. the facts. Choose which is best for you. And that also, yeah. not that they do this every time, but it helps tremendously in the seller not coming back at you in 60 days when they really wanted 30 days saying, well, you're the one who told me to price it here. You're saying here are the facts so, make the choice that works best for you. Maybe they're building something and they've got more time. Maybe they exactly. got relocated and they have less time. You Remember, we always teach you to make it all about the prospect. It's one of the things that makes our coaching trained agents superior to everyone else because they drill down on what's most important to the prospect. They don't make assumptions. They don't do everything super cookie cutter. They don't, you know, we had, we had this funny discussion to me and I got to jump to premiere in a second. You know, one of the steps in the pre-listing um, is to not park the seller in. When you go to a listing presentation, don't park in their driveway so that you're not yeah. interrupted when their teenage kid has to go to soccer practice so that you don't get parked in when the other spouse comes home from work. Lots of different reasons. And also, in Very our case, when we, were, when we were competing, so that your competition doesn't drive by going, oh, yeah, that's their BMW truck. Oh, that's not their house. That must be a listing appointment, right? Mm -hmm. Lots of reasons. But we had this discussion on Premier Coaching where several, not just one, several of these guys had been told by, I don't even know who, because this is crazy talk, that, nope, that's not what you do. You go there and you park right there in that driveway and you act like you own the place. I'm <laughs> like, what? So I just thought that was an interesting discussion of how not to make it all about the prospect, but to make it all about yourself. So anyway, on that note, I'm off to see these guys, and I will turn the call back over to you. Um, so thank you, Julie. And so the other thing on Premier Coaching, where if you don't necessarily want to present analytically using CMA-type numbers, we teach you also how to tell stories that gets you to the end result. The stories are a lot more fun and a lot more palatable to everyone. So I'll give you, I'm going to give you guys the same script that I just gave you using numbers and the absorption thing. I'm going to now using, uh, give you the same script, but I'm going to make it into a story. Uh, again, guys, this is Premier Coaching is all about getting you to the point where you have mastery of these types of skills so that you can walk into any situation with any seller and uh, help them to accomplish their goal, which is getting their household, which obviously then helps you accomplish your financial goals. So, Mr. Seller, listen, and this is the, I, used to, I have told this story a billion times when Julie and I sold real estate, um, so I'm going to tell it just like I told it then, okay? So uh, so I got a call the other day, Mr. Seller, as I'm driving home uh, from a listening appointment. Julie, she's saying, Tim, you got to go to the grocery store and get a gallon of milk. And I was like, okay, you know, I'll, I'll go to the grocery store and get a gallon of milk. And the nearest grocery store was Costco. Oh, my gosh, Costco where the coolers are literally probably two miles from the start of the, from the entrance of the store. And, uh, you know, the parking lots of the size of 15 football stadiums. And, of course, it was busy. And so I had to, you know, it was raining a little bit. And so, you know, okay, fine, get the gallon of milk. So I pull in the parking lot. I, you know, have to walk like five, seven, ten minutes to get to the front of the Costco store. Another, like, 20 minutes, you know, playing do cart dodge them to get to the back. And it seems like everybody in there was using me as a target, you know, trying to – and I'll, it, just the whole thing. Finally, I get to all the way back in the coolers. And if you guys have ever been in Costco, if you, Mr. Seller, have ever been in Costco before, the cooler is – in a cooler it's like an ice box so now i'm covered with rain you know and now i'm standing in this cooler where it's like i don't even know what temperature it is it's not a human it's not designed to support human life that's for sure and i'm trying to pick through these different gallons of milk so obviously my objective is to pick the best gallon of milk 
for the you know, the cost of the least as fast as possible so I can get the heck out of Costco. Make sense? You've probably been in similar situations. So I'm looking at the gallons of milk, and it's Costco, so there's too many choices, and I'm looking at six different gallons of milk, and all these gallons of milk were the same, basically. You know, the bottles were slightly different. Maybe one was glass, one was plastic. One lid was, you know, this color, the other was that. doesn't matter. Labels are different. You know, one was trying to seem more healthy than the other. Somehow, you know, the milk from these cows was, you know, I don't know. It just doesn't matter. It's just all a bunch of marketing stuff. At the end of the day, I was looking at expiration dates, and uh, Julie wanted vitamin D milk, and I was looking at what type of milk it was, you know, whole milk, and I was also looking at the fact that uh, prices, obviously. That subconsciously, my mind was just telling me, make a quick choice. You're freezing your butt off. You want to get the heck out of Costco. So I quickly went and looked at all the different prices, and uh, I realized the products were all not the same, okay? I'm not saying the gallons of milk were all the same. The glass bottle was cooler looking than the plastic jug. I get that, but they served the same purpose. And so which gallon of milk did I grab, Mr. Seller? Which gallon of milk did I grab? They'll say, always, the least expensive one. Correct. Because they provide, at the end of the day, they provide close enough value to each other that I grabbed the cheapest one and I got out of there. And you know what? And when I was looking at uh, the cooler, the cheapest one, and it was all the way to the right, was the one that everyone else was grabbing too. The more expensive gallons of milk, which were on the left, were just sitting there looking pretty, but not no one was buying them. And so I had the same choice to make as everyone else did, and everyone else was making the same choice I was making. And then I was able to grab that least expensive but similar value gallon of milk, hit the register, and you know get back to my life. And that's what people do when they're trying to decide which house they're going to buy. Look, I get the fact, Mr. Seller, that your house is nicer than the other houses that we're using as comparables. And I don't disagree with you that it is. The landscaping you guys did in the backyard is – fantastic. The remodel you did on the bathroom is without a doubt gorgeous. And a work of art in every way. The finished basement, Mr. Seller, I wish my basement was as nice as yours. I mean, you've done, done a really good job. But at the end of the day, what a seller, what a, buy, a buyer is going to consider all those things and they are going to appreciate those things and, and it is going to be those things, the improvements you made, did add value to your house, no doubt. But at the end of the day, the buyer in this price range is going to make a decision based primarily on price and then everything else. They will pay a little bit extra. Just like I, was, I would have been willing to pay maybe you know, a little bit extra for that gallon of milk, one versus the other, if the, you know, the second cheapest maybe had some other little intrinsic thing that I thought was kind of you know, worth it. But they were all virtually the same, so I grabbed the cheapest one. That's how virtually everything is sold, Mr. Seller. Everything is sold based on that, assuming the, thing, the values in each of them are more or less the same. And that's how real estate is sold. That's the reason that when you look to, at the statistical information, you'll see that the, the houses that are the least expensive um, always sell the fastest. And they're not because they have problems. It's, just, it's not because they're distressed in any way or less desirable. It's just because maybe the sellers were trying to be a little bit more aggressive in getting their house sold. And uh, so, Mr. Seller, just like that gallon of milk, my suggestion to you is that we position ourselves on the market so that we appeal to the most buyers as possible so that, frankly, we get the house sold as quick as possible so you guys don't have to live through the anguish of worrying about the potential of your listing expiring. And just like those gallons of milk, those expensive gallons of milk, if they don't sell because the manufacturers didn't price them correctly, Costco goes in there and throws them out, 
because of the fact that the milk is no longer sellable because it's sat on the rack too long. Same thing happens in real estate. Okay, you guys get it? So these are the types of stories you can tell. And we teach you how to do all this in Premier Coaching. There's droves of them. Um, and if you're more story-minded, now here's a, here's a little tidbit for you guys. I made that whole story up. But you, it, tidbits of it are actually happened in my life. But you can use the framework of our stories, and you can make them your own. I'm not saying copy Tim and Julie's stories exactly. None of our scripts do we want you to copy exactly. We want you to internalize them and personalize them. So when you do that, then they're yours. Then they're fun to tell. Um, you know, this is what coaching is. We're helping you guys to deep dive into how to actually help other people solve problems. And when you help other people solve their problems, they're going to choose to do business with you. They're going to see you doing things other people can't do in a market than, that other people aren't doing it in, and you're going to win. You're going to get more business that way. So if there's anything we can do for you, it's Tim at TimAndJulieHarris.com or Julie at TimAndJulieHarris.com. If you guys want a free coaching call, which I know pretty much all of you do, go to FreeCoachingCallsForAgents.com. FreeCoachingCallsForAgents.com. Have a fantastic day. We'll talk to you on the show tomorrow. This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris, Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs, visit our website at timandjulieharris.com. Remember to tune in weekdays at noon for upcoming shows. And until next time, thank you for listening to Real Estate Coaching Radio with Tim and Julie Harris. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.